Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, so Paul was talking in Romans chapter 14 about whether or not we should eat or drink certain things, whether we should observe a Sabbath day as one day to the Lord, or whether we should say, no, every day belongs to the Lord. And he's saying everybody needs to live according to their own convictions before God and really believe that what he or she is doing is right. But a secondary issue he brought up is also, how does it affect the people around us? So yes, we may not be condemned in our approach, but does our approach adversely affect other people? And so he said, Both of these are important issues, and we need to approach both of them in a way that we can believe that we're doing the right thing before God, walking in love with other people. So now, right into chapter 15, he says, We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So he is saying, and just for an example, if I'm strong in that somebody may have offered a piece of meat to an idol, and I'm strong in faith to say, so what? Idols are not real. There's one creator God and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray over this thing and bless it, and it's going to be blessed of God, and I'm going to eat it, and not have any problem with what somebody else did with that meat. Well, that's somebody who's strong in faith, Paul's saying. However, he said, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. And so we may say, man, these guys have an issue with this, you know, these, and kind of look down our noses at them. But Paul said, if you're really that strong, then you ought to be able to help these people that have an issue with it and not, and maybe you're not as strong as you thought you were. You should be strong, not only in faith that you can do these things and be right before God, but Paul's calling us to be strong in love to deal with people who we would say have views that are less than full of faith. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. He's not talking about being man pleasers. He's talking about pleasing his neighbor for his good. Let's, Let's do what we can to serve, to walk in love toward our neighbors for their good, leading to edification. What would best build up my neighbor? Not, hey, I don't have to listen to anybody. I don't have to be subject uh, subject to anybody else's belief. No, he's saying, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Let's have a heart to want to help our neighbor and to bless them, not to offend them. Verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's something that Jesus prayed prophetically. Four, verse four, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So whatever was written before in the Bible was written for our learning so that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Verse five, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth, glorifying God 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, live in such a way and make your decisions when you're around people and such. Make decisions in such a way that you all can be in unity and be praising God, speaking the same thing, and everybody can be edified. Not doing things that's offensive to other people. I know some people that just seem to want to shock everybody with their liberality and their faith to do things that are uncommon. And oh, it, you get attention that way, but are you causing unity? Are you causing praise and worship to God? Verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, talking about to the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. So I'll get to what's written, but let me just say again, it says Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. God made covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, etc., to David. And God made these promises. And so now God, Jesus came as Messiah, but he came first to serve the circumcision, to serve the Jewish people, to bring those promises to pass. For example, Jesus went around healing, preaching and healing. But do you remember? He did not go to the Gentiles. In fact, when he sent out the disciples, Two by two, for example, Matthew chapter 10, he said, do not go to the Gentiles. Do not go to the Samaritans, but go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give, but only to Israel. See, because Jesus in his earthly ministry was focused on and assigned by the Lord to bring covenant promises to pass for Israel. Why was he doing that? Because God promised to bring them to pass. So when, when God himself is in flesh on earth, they need to see what God is like toward them, what God's heart is toward them. And here, here's a, a tremendously important point. If God did not come and show and prove that he would fulfill his covenant promises to the Jewish people who had the covenant, how would the Gentiles believe that this new covenant that he's making with them through Jesus, through the death of Jesus, that he would keep those promises. So see, Jesus' assignment on the earth was not to go to the Gentiles. That happened later through the apostle Paul, Barnabas, and others. No, but Jesus' assignment was to come and to confirm and bring promises to pass for the Jewish people. See, and so this is saying here, now I say this, verse 8, that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So when the Gentiles hear how God made these promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and such, and how God through Jesus fulfilled and brought these promises to pass, and now he's made promises to the Gentiles. Oh, that's good news. Because we not only have a story, a gospel of how God makes promises, but we also have a gospel of how he's faithful to his promises. And namely to the Jewish people. So it says, 
and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then he's going to quote, for this reason, I will confess to I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, like applaud him, right? But laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. See, all this Old Testament, somehow the Jews missed so many of these promises that the Messiah was not going to just be the Messiah for the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Uh, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God wants us to be abounding with hope. In other words, people may just call us optimists, but we're not just optimists always trying to look at the glass half full. No, we have promises from God. We have a God who keeps covenant with us. And so we need to have hope by the power of the Spirit. Verse 14, now I myself, Paul speaking, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. What grace? Well, he's an apostle. He's a teacher. And so God has given him this grace to be able to write these things with precision, with boldness, confidence, and authority. Verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So notice, he's not just giving his own opinion. He really, Paul is really uh, endeavoring fervent to make sure that he's doing things in line with God and by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. This is a bold statement that we all ought to aspire to. He said, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed. In other words, I don't want to just be preaching something that's right, but I don't live it myself. I don't speak that way myself. He said, no, I don't dare try to teach other people to be obedient to things that I'm not being obedient to. Wow, that's a powerful uh, it, simply put, Paul said, I will practice what I preach, and I will not just preach it, but not practice it. Verse 20, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build, build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, verse 22, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. 
if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So in other words, he's saying, I, I want to enjoy your company, but he also is saying, I'd, I'd like to be helped on my journey. What does that mean? Financially supported. Paul is a missionary. Paul is going around from place to place, city to city, nation to nation, going on ships and such. And it's expensive to be able to travel like this. And he's not by himself. So he has other people with him. Yes, he does make tents. But as you know, uh, how many tents can you make and sell if you're constantly traveling? See, so it's hard to get in, in any rhythm. So when he would go to places where he had sown seed, made disciples and such, and there were people there, he would let them know, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to help. And all seeds that they sow into his ministry, of course, God gives them credit for the fruit that comes from that ministry. Okay, so, uh, for I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Verse 25, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. By the way, that that contribution, this is this is fellowship, okay? It pleased those to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them in material things. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Paul's saying that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was birthed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. And from there, the gospel has begun to now go out throughout the whole world, including to the Gentiles. And yet in Jerusalem, because this is the, the, the religious center for Jewish people and such, there's so many people that come to that place and want to be in Jerusalem, that there's a tremendous poverty situation. And of course, who knows what's happening with the Roman rule there and such. Nonetheless, Paul's saying about the Gentiles, he said, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, Jerusalem has sent out countless missionaries and people to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he said, if the Gentiles have partaken of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So he said, it's a duty of theirs to send back support to the church in Jerusalem because through the church in Jerusalem, the ministry of the gospel has gone out to the whole world and they have had their lives changed. So he said, it is the right thing for them to do. It is their duty to do it. Oh, we should hear this. Nobody should be ministered to and taught in the word, discipled in the word and such without responding back. In fact, let me just tell you, when I was changed by the power of the teaching of God's word, man, that, that, that minister 35 years ago or so who preached the word and through whom I got delivered from the bondage of lust and I became confident in the things of God. Let me tell you, 35 years later, oh, it is my honor and privilege to continue to send support every month. Every month, 35 years later. Oh, there's no complaint on my lips. Never. And I don't have to do it. It is my honor to do it. Let me say this. It is my duty to do it. I feel that. Why? Because my whole life was changed. My life today is changed because of that ministry. So it is my duty to do it. It's not a ton of money, but it is something. 
every month, every month. And this is what Paul's talking about. Boy, when we have received of spiritual things, it's our duty to respond with material things. Verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, talking about this financial offering, I shall go by way of you, Romans, to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So Paul's saying, I'm praying for myself, all the adversity and persecution that I deal with trying to bring this gospel to other places. He said, strive with me in prayers for me, for my ministry, for God to protect me and open doors and such. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Judea, what's special about Judea? That's the southern region of Israel. That's where so many Jewish people are in the Jerusalem area, that Judea area. And that's where persecution would come to somebody like Paul who believes that the Gentiles do not have to keep the law when they get saved. They do not have to be circumcised and such. And so Paul is Jewish, a Pharisee. But because he preaches the gospel, the unbelieving Jews don't believe in Jesus, persecute him. But then when they hear that he doesn't call the Gentiles to keep the law and they're going to be saved, well... That's double reason for people to persecute him. So he said, pray with me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that they would receive this, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be re refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You would think he's closing out the letter, but he's still got a chapter to go because he's going to greet a lot of people in this next chapter. But nonetheless, don't you just love being in the conversation of the Apostle Paul with the Romans here, seeing how they think, seeing how they relate, uh, seeing what he, and we could say what the Holy Spirit expects of the relationship here, we learn so much just by reading God's word. And I pray that even today, as we were reading, the Lord was showing you what is appropriate for you in your life and how you should be responsive to those who have ministered and preached the word to you. Well, bless the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying this time in the word. And I hope you are. I look forward to being with you tomorrow for chapter 16, the final chapter of the book of Romans. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. 
Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.